0: Welcome, friends, to this episode of Footsteps of the Messiah. We're going to be exploring Parashah parasha Beshalach, which is Exodus 13, verse 17 through 17, verse 16. So, almost the complement, chapter 13, verse 17, and to, all the way to chapter 17, verse 16. Not 13, but actually 16. Anyway, that's kind of funny. So I hope you are having a great day, afternoon, or evening, wherever you may be in time and space and location and geography. So let us begin with our blessing. Baruch la'asok Torah. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the Universe, who sanctifies us by His commandments and commands us regarding engagement and Torah study. Alright, so this week, Beshelach, we'll start with a nutshell version of it, explore what's in the Torah, and then move on to the Haftarah and the connection between the two. So the name of the parasha, Beshelach, means when he sent, so or in the sending. So, excuse me, it is found in Exodus 13, verse 17. Now, soon after allowing the children of Israel to depart from Egypt, Paro chases after them to force their return. Now, the Israelites find themselves trapped between Paro's armies and the sea. That's the Reed Sea, friends. It's called the Yam Suf, and Red Sea maybe because it was called such by its coloring um, or the way that the sun reflected off it possibly, maybe because of the reeds or, you know, the geography there, the silt, I'm not sure. But um, the correct translation is more likely sea of reeds so be that as it may, we all know what we're which body of water we're talking about so god tells moshe to raise his staff over the water and the sea splits to allow the israelites to pass through now after it closes it or, uh, it closes when the egyptians are pursuing now in psalms you'll find that it says that the lord created paths P A T H S, plural, paths in the sea. Um, and that is where we get a midrash that says there were 12 paths that the tribes crossed through. So one for each tribe. So let's take a look and see if I can find that a psalm for you. Uh, let's see here. I actually wasn't going to get into that. But we do see that in 1 Corinthians 10 verses 1 through 2 that Rav Shaul talks about the crossing being uh, an immersion, being a mikvah. So that is powerful because they're changing status. They're going from a bunch of slaves and tribes into a corporate nation. So I'm looking for the, uh, let's see here, the psalm that says they were split into paths. Let me see, give me just a moment. Uh, Let's see, that's not it. All right. And then we also have a couple other bodies of water, the Jordan splits. Um, So when Yehoshua came to... In Joshua 3, they they split the Jordan to cross over into the land. And then in Isaiah, in the future, it says that Isaiah 11 says that in the time of the redemption that Hashem will dry up the tongue of the Egyptian sea and lift his hand over the river with the strength of his wind and he shall beat it in the seven streams. Now, commentary says that river is the euphrates and the seven streams corresponded to seven different places on the side of the euphrates that israel was exiled to now according to others this refers to the ten lost tribes which is also makes a lot of sense the ten that were exiled into eastern um, asia and all over asia actually and Give me just a moment. All right, I'm going to find this psalm. Okay, so interestingly enough, there are several psalms and several verses in Isaiah. And let me see if I can find them for you. So Psalm 106, verse 9 says, He rebuked the reed sea, and it dried up, and he led them through the depth as through a desert. Uh, Probably the scripture that the Midrash comes from is Psalm 136, 136. I believe it is verse 13 that says to him who cut the sea of reeds asunder for his kindness is eternal legozer uh, yamsuf so xarim is split uh, but anyway if you look up um, parting or sea or paths in the sea or Israel crossed paths in the sea You'll find quite a few in Psalms and Isaiah. Um, The Psalm 18 says the channels of the sea appeared and the foundations of the world exposed. Um, And really there's a lot of allusion here to walking on water, uh, walking in the waters and coming out dry. Uh, Several references in Isaiah. So it's very interesting. Uh, One of the places that i noticed that had several was now i can't find it i've got so many windows open but I believe it was in isaiah 40 um, and psalm 77 19 also says your path led through the sea your way through the the mighty waters. Though your footprints were not seen. So that's fascinating. And. Anyway. So a lot of illusion here. Um, with And if you wanted to. Have Israel. Literally walk on water. I mean I guess he could have done that. But then he wouldn't have. Been able to destroy the Egyptians. In the same way. And there is an interesting midrash. That Paro was the only one that survived and i'm not sure why he survived the death of the firstborn i guess he wasn't the firstborn but for him to uh, survive in the midrash um, he was i guess like drowned but then the sea put him back on the land something like that and then he actually ended up going to nineveh And becoming the king of Nineveh that we see in Jonah. So um, because of what he went through. He causes the city to repent. So we'll go ahead and get back to the a nutshell. So the. And obviously Yeshua is the one that walked on water. And I believe that is connected somehow to this. But that is a little bit beyond the scope of what I was prepared to talk about today. So uh moshe raises his staff over the water sea splits israelites pass through pursuing egyptians die moshe and the children of israel sing a song of praise and gratitude to god and in the in the desert the people suffer thirst and hunger and repeatedly complain so god miraculously sweetens the bitter waters of Marah, and moshe has to bring water from a rock by striking it with his staff And at that point, he wasn't told to speak to the rock. That was later. And this is the first instance of water coming out of the rock, which I always forget this scripture, but um, in one of, I believe, the Corinthians letters, it says the rock that followed them was the Messiah. So let's see if we can find that real quick. First uh, Corinthians ten I always first yeah, Corinthians seven, but anyway first Corinthians ten the spiritual rock that followed them uh, Was the Messiah basically is all it says so uh, A lot of this phrase Suri straight comes up in the prayers every day a rock of Israel and um, is very important and why why because that's the rock that we have to fall on even though it might break us uh, emotionally spiritually mentally Um, you want to fall on the rock and allow yourself to be broken for the sake of the lord and then he'll put you back together but you don't want the rock to fall on you or to come crashing down in your path because that is a very rude awakening and you might not come back from it depends on how big you get um, kind of one of those the bigger they are the harder they fall type of thing so uh, let's see the water is sweetened the water comes out of the rock Moshe strikes it uh, some people believe that is a picture symbolic of uh, the crucifixion of Yeshua only when he was um, struck, at, stricken or struck by God was the spirit able to flow out freely. Uh, the Lord causes manna to rain down from the heavens before dawn each morning and quail appear to the camp each evening. Uh, the children of Israel are instructed to gather a double portion of manna on Friday as none will descend on Shabbat. And the divinely decreed day of rest, Shabbat is recognized. Some disobey and go to gather manna on the seventh day and find nothing. And Aaron preserves a small quantity of manna in a jar as a testimony for future generations. And then in Refidim, the people are attacked by the Amalekites, who are defeated by Moshe and Moshe's prayers and an army raised by Yehoshua. So let's see here. Now there is a parasha quiz, but I don't think we have time for that today, and there is a Q&A, but it has, let's see, yeah, some extra things from, like, the Gemara, and some more technical questions in there, so we'll skip that, talking about the cantillation and the trope, and if you enjoy quizzes, I highly recommend the Parsha quiz on Chabad.org. They are very interesting. And uh, here is one of the 10 questions. Um, Whose bones did Moshe carry from Egypt? Whose bones did Moshe carry from Egypt? One, his parents. Two, the bones of Yosef. Tzidkenu, Yosef, or Yosef HaTzadik. Or three, an unknown Hebrew slave. Well, hopefully you knew that the answer was the bones of Yosef. I believe in Hebrew that's Atzmot Yosef Hatzarik. All right, so let's take a look at the connection to the Hathra. The Hathra is going to be Judges 4.4. 4 through 531. This is a unique instance where we don't really see much. Uh, this might actually be the only Haftarah in the book of Judges I would have to check, but uh, very well could be. So, let's take a look. So, the Haftarah is going to begin, like I said, in Judges 4, and we're going to read a little bit from the Etz Chaim Humash. It has some fantastic commentary, and won't be reading the whole Haftarah, but let me go ahead and read you the connection, the relation of Haftarah to Parashah. So, the song of Devorah and Barak in Judges 5 is read along with the songs of Moshe and Israel and of Miriam, Exodus 15, as two celebrations of divine salvation in history. Moshe's Song of the Sea, which does include the word Yeshua at least once, which celebrates how the Lord threw the Egyptian army into a panic via home is also found in Exodus or sorry that's Exodus 14:24 occurs at the beginning of national liberation and anticipates settlement in the land and the building of the temple Exodus 15 verses 15 through 17 it concludes with the climactic hope in God's enduring kingship verse 18 Devorah's song, which celebrates how the Lord threw Sisera and all his chariots and army into a panic via home, Judges 4, verse 15, occurs within the period of settling the land. It too concludes on a hopeful note. Judges 5, 31. And I just wanted to share in closing a little bit about Devorah. Uh, Now, this is interesting. Um. Dvorah is portrayed with seer-like qualities and, as a judge, rabbinic tradition lists her among seven female prophets in the Hebrew Bible, along with Sarah, Miriam, the sister of Moshe, Hannah, from uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1, the mother of uh, Shmuel, Hanavi, and Abigail, the one of the wives of David, Hulda, H U L D A, whose name I don't, I recognize it, but I can't remember where she's from, and of course, Queen Esther. Alright, so let's take a look at one last interesting thing about Devora, and this is really interesting. I found that Devora, well, her name means bumblebee, so, or honeybee, so that's interesting but what i wanted to read was about devora's husband and this encoding this phrase eshet lapidot so in identifying devora the verse calls her eshet lapidot which translates literally as the wife of a man named lapidot according to one midrashic source lapidot was indeed her husband He was also known by another name, Barak ben Abinoam, a a hero of this story. Now the name Lapidot derives from the root Lapid, a fiery flame or a torch. Our sages said that the husband of Devorah was not a learned man. His wife told him, come, make wicks for the sanctuary in Shiloh. This way your lot will be among righteous men and you will arrive in the world to come. And that is from a book that is, has a very long title. Uh, Barak followed probably commentary on uh, collected commentary on this portion of the prophets. Barak followed Deborah's advice and adopted this mitzvah. He made thick and beautiful wicks to be used in the sanctuary. It was this that earned him the name Lapidot. Now, most commentaries follow a different understanding. Eshet Lapidot is not to be translated as the wife of Lapidot, but rather as a woman of Lapidot. Uh, eshet means woman, and woman of torches, or woman of fire, now, or woman of flames. The latter being a description of Devorah herself. The Talmud says it was actually her who used to make the wicks for the sanctuary in Shiloh. Metsudat David and Abarbanel, two different commentators, uh, consider this in a description of the kind of woman she was, a woman of strength and deftness, likened by people to a fiery flame. So that is all we have to share for this week. We're going to... Do an abbreviated version because we are short on time, but just some insight, some connection. But as you prayerfully read through the parasha and the haftarah, look for the connections. Look for what the Spirit is seeking to show you. And may your lapid, the lapid in the Spirit that you carry inside of you, burn bright and burn freely for the will of God. And may you be blessed and encouraged with this word. We pray that you will invite Yeshua to be the torch, the flame, and the fire in your spirit for your life. And may he come speedily and soon in our days and bring us into the days of the Messiah. Shalom, friends.